I'll be honest with you, sometimes uh, my vision of love, my definition of love is tainted by the world. And last week I offered a definition for love, but it doesn't always line up with the way in which I love people. And the truth is that a lot of times I just... I do love in a way that's been kind of uh, influenced by our culture, by my family, uh, by the things that have happened to me in my life. One of the ways uh, that, that this happens is that sometimes I wrongly think that if I hurt somebody's feelings, then in those moments I'm not loving them. And maybe you feel the same because our culture kind of says, like, just make people feel good and that's what love is and always make them just feel like whatever they're doing it is right. And uh, another way that I, I do the the same thing is, is opposite, I guess. And that is that sometimes I think, well, I can love this person by just being rude in my presentation of the truth. And that happens most often in my marriage. Uh, but the closer somebody is to me, the more I love them, I guess, the more I, I will present the truth in a way that isn't nice. It's just flat out rude. And I think it's because it's just because my kind of view of love is tainted in some way. And I think that all of us really struggle with with knowing how to love, with knowing what love looks like kind of in an everyday sense. And uh, there's a couple of problems. First of all, the media plays a major role in, in our idea of love. And in our video, there's lots of songs listed. And if you think about the rest of the lyrics in those songs, you think, wow, is that really what love is? I mean, are they describing something called love? Because it doesn't seem that good always. And when you watch movies and you see the way that uh, relationships characterized by love uh, look, then sometimes they don't look anything like what we maybe feel like love should be, maybe what we think love should be. It's very different. And on top of this, uh, we struggle because we have been hurt by love and, and we, we just don't understand. Last week I gave this definition of love before we move on and uh, it's love is them above you as their goodness you pursue because of their value. Love is, let me read it one more time, them above you as their goodness you pursue because of their value. Love really is at its deepest core level, simply looking at another person saying you have inherent value and worth. And so because of that, I want what's best for you, what's good for you. And I'm willing to sacrifice to make it happen. And for us, maybe you went home after that sermon, if you were here and you went home and you're like, I'm going to practice this and in every situation I'm going to ask like, what do I need to do to, to make somebody's best in this situation? But you quickly found that it's, it's not that easy in the real world. I mean, when you're on the fly and you're trying to love people on an everyday basis, then sometimes it's just not that easy to pause and go, okay, love is them above me because I want their goodness and let me think about what is good for them right now and try to figure this out. That doesn't work like if your wife screams, hey, I really need your help right now and her finger's burning on a pot and you go, wait a minute, I need to think about what the loving thing is to do in this situation. That doesn't work, right? I mean, Bryn would not be very happy with me in those moments. And so we need not just a definition of love, but we really need a description of love. And here's the truth. Some people uh, can look at love and, and they realize, even in their own life, that it is a puzzle. And kind of on a daily basis, we have a framework now, this definition that I gave you, but, but on, a, on a daily basis, we kind of have to like put a puzzle together if we're going to love people. 
And some of you know in your heart that your puzzle is missing pieces. And worse, maybe, is that you don't have a picture in your life to put it together with. You ever try to put a puzzle together when you don't have the picture? If it's more than like eight pieces, then you're just lost. You're like, well, I don't know what I'm actually trying to do here. And a lot of times, because of how we've grown up, because of what we see in the media, we have this puzzle that is love and we're trying to do it on a daily basis. But we're like, I don't even have a picture of what it is. I mean, I don't even know what it is. Everybody who has ever said, I love you to me, demonstrated something that I don't want to demonstrate to other people. It doesn't seem like love at all. I mean, you can think about it like a lot of times physical abuse happens in the name of love. I mean, you've heard. You've heard parents say when they're spanking sometimes, but you know it gets said when parents are doing more than spanking, like, I'm doing this because I love you. And you've seen sexual assault done in the name of love. You've heard these stories where where people who are predators will say, well, I just loved them so much. It doesn't really seem like it. I mean, that's not a good picture of love. And you've seen it in divorce. And people are like, well, I think I just, I'm going to leave them because I, I want what's best for them. I love them. And I still love them, you know, on some level. But I'm just going to, I'm going to walk away because I'm not that into it anymore. And it's like, well, that doesn't feel like love that doesn't give me a really good picture of like how i'm supposed to interact with my spouse or my coworker or my children today i mean hmm, i'm gonna leave because i love you so good luck that doesn't work and so the truth is we we have these tainted pictures of love and even if we can define it, even if we go, look, I'm going to recognize your value and I'm going to sacrifice in order that you have your best. I'm willing to totally sacrifice so that your good is lived out and you have the best in your life on every single level. Even if you can tangibly think that and you say, logically, I, I believe Chad and I believe scripture that that's what love is. It doesn't make it easy on a daily basis to say this, this is what love is looks like and here's the good news it's like paul knows this it's like paul understands that when he writes the book of first corinthians that that people don't know what love looks like they don't have a, a picture of it in their lives and so he writes these words i'm going to read them all and then i'm going to come back and we'll look at them one by one together uh first corinthians 13 4 through 7 love is patient Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, is what he will say next. Now, here's, here's the, the really cool part about this, is, is you kind of see this, and you've heard it at weddings, right? Uh, and, and, and people at weddings just kind of read it, and they say, this is what romantic love looks like. But, but a couple of things are really important. This isn't just what romantic love looks like. This is what love looks like. And this right here, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, is actually not about, in his first context when he's writing it, it's not about romantic love. He's writing it to a church, and he's talking about how people within the church should interact with one another. 
And so this definition of love isn't just like, hey, if you want to get married, then you need to try to make it look like this. But this is really about all of your relationships, three types of relationships we've talked about throughout this series. Affection, the love that parents have for their children or children have for their parents. Friendship, the love that we have for people that are like us and that we enjoy spending time with. And romance, the type of love between a male and a female that results in marriage. You know that kind probably the best in our society. And so this this right here, what he says, isn't just about how you treat your spouse or the person you're dating. This is about how you are to interact as Christians with everybody, as non-Christians with those three types of relationships I just described. Now, here's the other really cool part. I really like this. Paul uses a bunch of words that hardly show up anywhere else in the Greek language. If you're not familiar, the Bible was written in what we now call Koine Greek. It's a a language that no longer is used or spoken. uh, And that's what it was written in. But we can go back and we find, find lots of other literature that was written in that same language. And most often, when you find a word in the Bible, you can go, oh, this is how it's used in this other book. This is how Homer used it when he wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey. This is what it looks like in other contexts. But Paul, in this three, in these three verses, uses words that hardly show up anywhere else in the Greek language. And I think as God inspired him to pin these words, what took place is that they wanted us to see that love looks different than maybe anything the world has ever known. I think that that God and Paul wanted to help us avoid the, the kind of tainted love that we so often see, that they were like, hey, let's just use a bunch of different words, words that hardly show up anywhere else but will make sense to the people of the time so that we can just avoid giving any false impression about this very pure, very beautiful thing that we call love. Now, here's here's what the other really cool part is the part that this i i was blown away that i didn't know this before this sermon before preparing for this sermon a couple weeks ago Uh, i i i didn't know this and it's incredible all of these words while they look like adjectives are actually verbs in the original language Kind is an adjective. It describes things, usually, in in the English language. But in Greek, this is actually a verb, and I'll get to what these verbs are in a second. But it's like in God's infinite wisdom, he looked down and he said, you don't need a description of love. You need to know what love does. Isn't that what you want? I mean, you go to weddings, and this is beautiful, and it's like, oh, what a beautiful description. That's so poetic. But don't you, really, as you interact with your children, and as you interact with your friends, and as you interact with those you uh, love in a romantic way, and as you interact with those people that are in your church, and you try to be loving to the world, don't you need to know what love does? And that's exactly what Paul says to us in these three verses he says this is what love does this is what it looks like on a daily basis to lower yourself for the goodness of another person i'll go through these i'm just going to touch on each of them quickly and then we'll kind of come to the main point at the end the first love is patient that means that love is long suffering or slow to anger you think well of course right I mean, of course that's true. But if you were to go back and you were to to read other literature at the time and you were to study guys such as Aristotle, being patient was actually seen 
as a weakness. If somebody disrespected you, they came up to you and they made fun of you and you weren't ready to fight for your honor, then then they would have looked at you in the culture in which Paul is writing this letter and they would have thought, that guy is weak. That guy does not fit in. That guy is not honorable to us. But Paul just says, look, the truth is, whether it's cool in society or not, love is very slow to anger. It is patient. Here's one way to describe patience. It's giving somebody as much space as they need. Now, I could stop my sermon right here if, if, if you're anything like me, and that would be a wonderful sermon. Like, if I spent the rest of my life just trying to be patient with the people I love, then everything would be better. It's difficult to be patient. It's difficult to be slow to anger. It's difficult to give somebody as much space as they need. It's easier to be like, hey, hurry up. Or, hey, I need to fix this right now. Or, why aren't you getting this done? Or, hey, that was so stupid, I can't believe you did that without even thinking about being rude. You know, love is patient. And so just as we go through these, I think at every step um, you'll find, or at least most of them if you're like me, like, man, in these relationships I characterize by love, I don't do it very well. The second one is kind. It means extending good to others in the original language. And it has the, the idea of being useful to other people. And it can also refer to being gentle to somebody else. Here's really the key, just the simple, if you, if you could just remember a way to understand what kind means to, to Paul and to God as he pens these words. It's really considering how another person feels. That's backwards for me a lot of the times, right? I consider how I feel. You hurt my feelings, and so I'm going to respond in anger or do something mean. But Paul says, look, if you're really going to love, if you're really going to do this thing called love on a daily basis, here's what it does. It, It is useful to people. It extends good to others. It's not about how you feel. It's about how the other person feels and what they need. Next thing he says is that it does not envy, it is not jealous is another way to say it. And when we see jealousy in our society, we jump right to like a man being jealous of another man as that guy talks to his wife, right? I mean, that's kind of where you jump. But that's actually not the type of jealousy that's referred to here. Although I would offer that jealousy never helps love in that sense. Uh, It just hurts love. But here what he's talking about is it's not envious of the other person. Here's the best way that I can describe it for you. If somebody that you say you love tells a story, do you try to tell a better story? I mean, when you're sitting at dinner with your child or your spouse or your friend and they're like, hey, I caught a fish this big, you're like, that's really cool, but one time I caught a fish this big. I mean, do we, do we look at the other person and say like, man, I'm bothered that you're successful. And you may not think about this when it comes to love, but the truth is, jealousy, envy has hurt a lot of marriages through the years. In some ways, being envious is saying, look, I don't feel very good about me, and I don't want you to feel very good about you. I want you to struggle right along with me, and so when your spouse gets the promotion, you act like it's not that good, because you're jealous of them, and you don't feel that good about yourself. 
Next one is do not, does not boast. It goes right along with the fish story again. Uh, and it really is to vaunt oneself or to show oneself a boaster. You know what this looks like. And, and since I started studying for this sermon, I've been very aware of this in my life. Uh, we had Valentine's Day since I started uh, studying for this sermon and studying for the series for sure. And it's like, hey, Bryn, look how good these flowers are. Like, how unloving is that? Like, hey, do you want to know how much I spent on these? And I bought them at a little shop that was set. And now I'm even bragging to you. It's like the need to tell people that you love about how great you are. And I really struggle with this, which is not surprising to some of you. Um, But I really struggle with this maybe more than any of the others because I, I just... I've noticed it now a lot more. That doesn't even seem like it should be part of love to me, but God put it in there, whatever. Um, and I look at this, it's like I just, I just boast about. Every time I do something loving, it's like I need to tell somebody. Man, did you see how loving I was? Do you hear how loving I sounded in that sermon this morning? Man, everybody bought it. You know, I mean, like, that's not, not good at all. Hopefully you're with me right now because if, I don't know, maybe I'm just really bad at, at loving people, um, but... But I'm hoping, maybe this is so unloving to say, but I'm hoping that you along with me are like looking at each of these and you're thinking like, oh man, that's not what my relationships look like. Because that's me and I, I, uh, this is honest, this is true, it's not even funny. Like I look at my relationships and I think this is not what it looks like. Is not proud, it means to blow, uh, to puff up, to pant, to puff up, to inflate, inflate. It really means making yourself a bigger deal and the other person a lesser deal. Here's my question as you think about this. Is it more important that you get to watch the TV show you want or more important that they get to watch the TV show that they want? Is it more important that when it's a Saturday and, and one of you wants to spend time doing one thing, that it's more important that, that they get to do it? Or is it more important that you do what you want to do? Next time when you drive home today from church, just get in the car and then ask yourself, who is picking the radio station and how do I feel about that? And you will know whether or not you are uh, proud in your relationship with whoever you drive home with. The next one is it does not honor, dishonor others. It is not rude. Uh, it does not act with moral deformity. And it's this. It does not create regret or embarrassment in the other person in any way. 1 Corinthians 7.36 says, If anyone is worried that he might not be acting, check this out, honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and his passions are too strong that he ought to marry her, it goes on. And so I bring that verse up because the truth is, we look at these romantic relationships before marriage, and oftentimes men say, If you love me, you will. You can finish the sentence. And the truth is, that can't be true because it's dishonoring to that person. If you're in a Christian relationship and somebody is trying to have sex with you before marriage, then they aren't loving you. It's just that clear and you should find somebody else who will love you better and you should break up with them immediately. Marriages don't work generally when people have sex before they are married. It just doesn't work usually and there's a reason for that. It's not because those people are more sinners than anybody else, because we're all sinners going into marriage. It's because those people actually aren't loving each other when the marriage starts, and it's not going to get any better as the marriage goes forward. 
There's hope. There's things that happen if that's you and describes your marriage now. Uh, God does miracles, but statistically it just doesn't work. And the reason is because it's not loving. The other way that this, the, the other, the other idea behind this is like, you don't say bad things about another person. You don't make them look bad. You don't dishonor them behind their backs. And we've all been guilty of this, but I do see men talk about their spouses, their wives, at, behind their back, like, oh, she just doesn't understand, you know, and da 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 da. You're not being loving. That's not love in those moments. That's not what love does. Love honors people. It does not dishonor people. It is not self-seeking. It means love isn't focused on what I can get out of it, but what the other person can get out of it. It is not. It is totally and utterly consumed by the good of others, which is inherent to the definition that I have already given to you. And so just ask yourself this. Do you make decisions in, in whatever relationship based on what is good and easy for you or what is good for the other person? Here's a question, again, to unmarried people. If you are in a romantic relationship, would you break up with the other person if it was for their best? If your answer is no, then you don't really love them. You aren't really loving them. Paul goes on. It's not easily anchored. Angered. This goes right along with being uh, patient. It means to sharpen or uh, to be rubbed against something. It is really to be irritable. And that's how the ESV translates. And check this out. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Love doesn't respond in anger to every sin, every wrongdoing, everything that the other person does that irritates you. Instead, it, it covers over even the sins in a person's life. It keeps no record of wrongs. This means to occupy oneself with reckonings or calculations. This doesn't mean that we forget everything that a person's done wrong and we just allow ourselves to get hurt over and over. It's more along the lines of not keeping a record of it. The easiest way to see this is if you're in a fight with somebody that you say you love and you say, you always... Once you drop the you always, you know that you are keeping a record of wrongs. Or, I can't believe you did it again. Or, do you remember that one time when you said, you know that somewhere in your mind you are keeping a record of everything that's been done wrong by the other person. And it's not what love does. It does not delight in evil. Means that we cannot be excited when somebody else sins. When they do something that is wrong, we can't feel good about it. This happens in a couple of different ways. The first way that I see it is just simply saying, you know what, I'm not going to hurt their feelings. It goes back to that. And so I will just rejoice when, when they do something that I know is wrong, that will eventually hurt them. I'm going to be excited for them. It's like when somebody comes and they're in a really bad relationship that you know will hurt them eventually. And you go, oh, that's so great. You two look so happy in those Facebook pictures. That's not loving them. It's enabling them. It's eventually going to hurt them. The other way I see this, and maybe uh, more to home for a lot of Christian people who love to point out the flaws in others, uh, you know, more to home is this. You look at somebody else and you think like, well, at least I'm not that bad. Or you think like... Oh, it's so good to see them fail because now I, 
I look better or I look to be proved right in the thing that I believe and I think. I see this all the time on Facebook. When a politician does something bad or wrong, everybody, even Christians, I'm sad to say, that's on the other side rushes to celebrate it. Like, oh, did you hear what they did? It's so awesome that they slept with another woman who wasn't their wife. It's so awesome that they were caught embezzling money. Isn't that great because they're not on my team? Christians do it all the time. And they're like, yeah, I love everybody. That's a lie. And then he finishes with this awesome ending. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Another way to say it is bears all, believes all, hopes all, endures all. I read one thing that said this, and I want to make this clear. First, we should understand that this description of love does not mean what it does not mean. The fact that love believes all things does not make a loving person a dupe. Neither does it mean that love is naive, undiscerning, or credulous. We're not talking about gullibility here, and a foolish lack of skepticism is not a part of love. Love is not just being blind to the world. It's not saying, I don't know that you're doing something wrong. It's not saying any of these things. In fact, the, the one I missed, it rejoices in the truth. And it means that we need to tell people the truth, even if it hurts their feelings. And so he says it bears all, it believes all, it hopes all, and it endures all. It means this, love covers people. It covers over their sins because we're able to look at them and say, wow, I love you anyway, despite what you do wrong, the problems that you have in your life. I love you despite that. I love you for who you are, not who I want you to be. It believes all. It means that we always hope for the best in a person. It means that we don't look at people and go, well, they're probably going to fail again. They're probably going to give into that habit again. They're probably going to hurt me again. But we say, I want, I want so much and I hope so much that you'll succeed this time. If you've never had love that believed the best in you, then you haven't had the best kind of love. I've been blessed to have people that just think I'm going to succeed even when I probably won't succeed. And I knew immediately that they loved me. In fact, if you want to know if somebody's really loving you and actually showing you love, just ask yourself, do they generally think I'm going to succeed? And if you answer no, then they're probably not loving you. And if you don't believe the best in people, you're probably not loving them. It always hopes doesn't mean that abused people should run back into relationships, but it means that we hope that the other person will succeed. It always believes and it always hopes, and it always endures. This means that it remains. It means that it continues on despite circumstances and distance and hurts and pains. Love continues to go forward. This is a big list. It's like, wow, that's overwhelming. You could have, you were right. You should have stopped at number one. That would have been great, Chad. And then I would have had something. And normally I just like to have one point in a sermon. And if you've been around my preaching, it's usually just one point and that's it. Because when I listen to sermons, I can only remember one thing. And so I've brought that into my own preaching. And, uh, but this is like a, a big list. A big list of things. And so if I could just, I know you won't remember them all. You can go back and read them. In fact, when the service is over today, we're going to hand you out a bookmark with these, with this list, all of this on it, so that you can remember it and you can try to put it into practice. But what I want you to hear today, if we could just summarize it all in just kind of like one thing, and that is this. A life of love is a life that follows hard after God. You see, here's the thing. 
When you read the fruit of the Spirit in the book of Galatians, this is a, a list of things that Christians should possess and should live out because God has come into their lives. That's what we believe. If you're not a Christian, we believe that God has come into our lives in a very special and unique way. And, and because of that, He's really changed who we are. And so we have love and joy and peace and perseverance and kindness to everybody. And so when you look at these lists and you study it against the Holy Spirit, you begin to see that this is what Christians should be. We should be people who represent this, who love like what is described in front of me this morning. And so part of it is just saying, look, if you're a Christian, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to, I'm just going to do my best to listen to the Holy Spirit inside of me. And I can tell you this, as you go through life, if you would just ask yourself, what is it that God is calling me to do right here? Most of the time, you will do the loving thing. You see, there's a reason we feel the need to have love described to us for Christians. There's a reason that we want to know what it looks like, and that's because we feel far too often like we aren't loving. You look at your life and you're like, I know that there's certain areas where even though I say I love you, I'm not actually doing it. And you're like, why? I mean, why do you feel that way? And it's because something inside of you is telling you that. So the first thing, if you want to live out this list, is just listen to what God is saying to you if you're a Christian. Now, if you're not a Christian, I don't believe that God has come upon your life in a special way. And I'm really sorry for you because this is going to be very hard to do. I mean, I know that Christians demonstrate unlove too often, but the truth is we, we, if anybody, can actually live out this list. It's because of God's presence in our lives. Now, here's the other part, and this is really just the, the awesome key, and that is this. This list is representative of the way in which Jesus lived his life. I mean, you can look at the life of Jesus in the Bible and you begin to see what love looks like on a daily basis. In fact, some people have believed and do believe that the list is actually demonstrated as the Holy Spirit leads and Paul writes, by the life of Jesus. And you can easily insert Jesus' name at every one of these places. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus doesn't boast. Jesus does not envy. Jesus is not proud. Jesus does not dishonor others. Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus protects. Jesus trusts. Jesus hopes. Jesus perseveres. Think, well, what does this look like? Well, it looks like Jesus. And it's really awesome to look at his life and you can read his life in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John in the Bible. If you want to do that, you should. You can look at his life and you can say, wow, that is what a life of love looks like. Jesus didn't just sit in heaven and go, hey, I love you guys. But, you know, it's really comfortable up here. It's really comfortable in heaven. I'm doing good and the angels are worshiping me. And I hope things work out for you. But I don't believe that it will Because I'm going to stay here and be comfortable. Instead, what we believe, what the Bible teaches, is that Jesus from heaven looked down at us and loved us so much that he said, I'm coming down there. I'm not going to be self-seeking. I'm going to leave my glory in heaven. He came down to earth. And he was born as a baby, totally humble, completely not proud. And he lived a sinless, perfect life where he walked around and he taught people. 
about what it means to sin and to not sin. And he showed people that even if they were sinners, he loved them and he cared about them and he was patient with them and he was kind with them, but he never once backed down from the truth. And then he went to the cross where he gave of himself totally and utterly and he did it so that we could be protected so that one day we could end up in an eternity in heaven and not in hell if we just believe that he is the savior of the world. His life totally represents what it is to love. He shows us completely what love does. I want to transition by saying that I think many people love. But I think that not enough of us are loving. There's lots of us who can look at somebody and say, yeah, I want what's best for you and I'm kind of willing to sacrifice. But there's not many of us Because we see it so clearly when it happens. They're actually loving. That do love as a verb. And I think it's time for us as Christians to change that. I think it's time for people. I mean, the world would just be better if people would say like, okay, I'm not just going to use the word love. I love you. You know, we're in love. I fell out of love. But I'm going to be loving. It's so easy and it's so simple to say I love you. Isn't it? I mean, and to really feel it and believe it and mean it. But it's difficult to be loving. Let me digress here. There's a movie called Forrest Gump. You may have seen it. Didn't see that coming, did you? There's a switcheroo. There's a movie called Forrest Gump. And in Forrest Gump, there's a common line throughout the the whole movie that's pretty famous now but it starts when he first meets Jenny who becomes the love of his life and he's on the school bus and he's scared and he's wearing braces and so it feels kind of awkward and he sits down with this girl and and then she says because he is slow she asks a a very logical question not a very nice question but a logical question because he's mentally slow she says are you stupid or something and Forrest Gump responds with something that's said multiple times in the movie mama says I love this. Stupid is as stupid does. Stupid is as stupid does. On Yahoo Answers, not the place I usually find my sermon information, but on Yahoo Answers, Panda underscore on underscore ice said this about that quote. It means you're only stupid if you do stupid things. Your actions reflect who you are. And today I want to say this, not my greatest moment, but this is what I want to say to you. Loving is as loving does. You can't just say you love somebody. You can't just talk about loving them. You can't just be willing to love them and be loving. Loving is as loving does. Just as an IQ test cannot determine the stupidness or smartness of your decisions... So, a desire to love cannot determine your lovingness. So, a feeling of love cannot determine your lovingness. The rightness and the wrongness of the way in which you approach the relationships that you characterize by love. Loving is as loving 
does. You're never going to forget this and you're never going to watch Forrest Gump the same, but I'm going to say it one more time because I want you to walk out of here and I want you just to start to think like, man, am I loving or am I just in love? Am I loving or am I just talking about love? Am I loving or am I just kind of feeling like love? Loving is as loving does. So here's, here's the thing for you. As you walk away from here, my hope for you is that you will make a decision to not just love, but to be loving. To do what love does. And so here's the thing. I know that you're not going to remember everything. I know that you're, you're just going to be like, wow, that was a great list, but I don't remember what he said about that list. You can listen to the sermon again if you want to. But even more, this is what I want. I want you to go home, and I want you to make a decision. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, you can do this. I want you to go home. I want you to make a decision to be loving. To do what love does. And then I want you to pick one. Just one of these words, these verbs that you see in front of me. And I want you to decide to put your mind towards working on it in the relationships that you characterize by love. I mean, maybe it's kindness. Maybe it's patience. Maybe it's not being self-seeking. Maybe it's not boasting. Maybe it's protecting. Maybe it's covering over sins. Maybe it's being more truthful. But just pick one. I tell you, your spouse will like you more. Your kids will be happy. Your, your friends will be happy. Just pick one of them and say, I'm going to put my mind towards actually loving. Can you just like imagine a world where you like, I mean, just where, where this was lived out? Where people were actually loving. They didn't just talk about love, but they were actually loving. I mean, think about what it would do to marriages. We, we know all about the divorce rate in our country and how it's really an epidemic and how it's just going crazy. Like, what, what, if, what if people in marriages were like, I don't, I don't care whether I feel like I'm in love or I want to be in love. I'm just going to be loving. And when you say something that's so stupid, I'm just going to be patient. I'm just not going to respond for a minute. And when I look at you, I'm just going to think, like, how can I be kind today? I mean, is it buying flowers? Is it making dinner? Is it doing the dishes? How can I be kind to you today? How can I benefit you? And I'm not going to be self-seeking. It's not going to be about what I want all the time. It's going to be about what you want and what's good for you and what's the best for you. And I'm going to protect you. And when I go to work, I'm not going to talk bad about you and dishonor your name, but instead I'm going to talk good about you. Even if I don't feel that good about you, I'm going to go to work and say, wow, you know what my wife did today? It was awesome. Marriages will be fixed, totally and utterly fixed, if we just made decisions to be loving. Think about like industry and, and business and the economics of our world and how really crooked they have become and how we feel when we shop we get ripped off and so we don't want to pay extra money because we're like, these people don't care about me and why am I going to give my, them my business? Like think about if everybody went to work every single day, thinking like, I'm going to be loving I'm going to be loving the customers. I'm going to be loving my boss. I'm going to be loving my coworker. It would change like how we think of businesses and how we do business and what happens in our world. Think about like politics in our country. Wouldn't it be like crazy if, if politicians weren't just like, I love America, God bless the USA, but they actually were loving towards our country and towards each other and towards us as people? And they weren't self-seeking and it wasn't all about them and they were kind and they were patient and they said nice things about each other. Wouldn't that like revolutionize our country in a good way? If people just had power just said, look, today I'm not going to make a decision based on what will get me elected. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a decision on my, 
based on my love for the people of this country. So what I just need you and want you to hear, as loving is, as loving does, and, and I, just, I, I just need you to just end with this thought. We can talk about love all we want, but the truth is, until we are loving, until we are living out love, until love becomes a verb to us, then it's not going to change or alter our relationships. They'll stay the same. But when we decide to be loving, it changes everything. Loving is as loving does. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your love for us. And even more specifically today, I thank you that you loved us enough to give us a definition of love, Lord. That you loved us enough to say, look, I understand that that the world has given you a really bad view of love, that that there's problems in the movies with what it define what they define as love. And so I'm gonna actually show you what love is. And you did it in multiple ways, Lord. I mean you your Holy Spirit <laughs> teaches us what love uh, what love is and what love does if we're Christians. You, Jesus, came to demonstrate what love does for all of us, Lord, when you lived on the earth. And then you wrote it down in a letter called 1 Corinthians. And we're so, so thankful for that, Lord. God, I, I pray that we as a church would be, if nothing else, the most loving church, Lord. I don't want to be the biggest church. I don't care about that. I don't care about being the best technological church. I don't care about being the church with the best sermons or the best music. But Lord, I do want to be the most loving church. And so I pray in our church we would be loving. And it wouldn't just be here when we when we gather together that we would be loving, but I pray that our people, the people who are here this morning, would leave here and they would be loving in their in their relationships that are with their children and their parents and their relationships with friends and their romantic relationships as well, God. Lord, let us be a people that are loving. I pray, God, as you increase that in our church, you would increase that in our community, and you would increase that in our state, and you would increase that in our nation, you would increase that in our world, Lord. And Lord, maybe I don't trust that it will happen, but I do hope that someday we can look at the world and say, wow, it's become a more loving place because of the, the work that you are doing, Lord. I pray these things in your name. Amen.